Lord, open our ears, help us to hear. Open our mouths that we might proclaim. Open our hearts that we may love. Amen. This morning, we gather for our Feast of Title, one of only two times where you can have a Saints' Day commemorated on a Sunday. The other is All Saints' Day. Today, we remember the transformative walk of faith of our own patron saint, and then we will gather to discuss together our common life in a rather strange liturgy we call the Annual Meeting. <laughs> when our Eucharist is concluded and before you're dismissed, unless of course you're a guest, I'm going to share with you some probably boring graphs and charts. But even more so, I want you to realize that we are part of an incredible process that Paul gave us clarity on how to perform. The life of the church is in our very deeds imprinted in our souls at baptism, empowered and emboldened by the Holy Spirit. The life of the church is as simple as one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. And we call that evangelism. Now the word evangelism, if it's stripped of all of its scary overtones, is simple. One Greek word, evangel. The good news. It's a kingdom action which places us in front of another human being with the very real good news of a transformed life. It is, of course, a voluntary offer. The person hearing your good news might decline it, or he or she might accept it. The result of the encounter, its success, or its failure, is not up to you. That is beyond your pay grade. That is God's job. Evangelism is to present Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit so that persons are led to believe in him as Savior and follow him as Lord within the fellowship of the church. That is the generally agreed upon definition from the Episcopal Church as to what evangelism is. But it's not a definition we live out very well. When I joined the Episcopal Church in 1996, I can recall hearing about something called the Decade of Evangelism. The House of Bishops got really excited and very serious about it as a concept. During the last part of the 1990s, get this, the Episcopal Church actually grew. And then, of course, you know, we saw in the early 2000s, we began to hemorrhage numbers uncontrollably. But in those five short years, what was different? How is it that we were the only mainline church that was growing? It seems that with a clear definition of evangelism, the encouragement of our bishops, and a commitment to the concept, we actually presented the person and ministry of Jesus Christ to our own and to those beyond our parish. I remember those years acutely. They formed me for what I do. We ran discovery weekends and alpha courses. We were talking about how to tell our own personal 
story. There was a sense of expectation, something that looked an awful lot like the expectation we see in the New Testament church. Except, instead of shrinking by 3% per year on average, as is the case today, the apostolic era church grew by that much. And of course, our church was, on the whole, much younger in the 1990s. We were not facing what some people were predicting at that point. They called, quote, the tsunami of death, end quote. And in today's lesson from the Acts of the Apostles, we hear of Paul giving testimony of his conversion to King Agrippa. We hear of Paul's change of heart. He was previously a persecutor of the church, and with all of the highest ideals in doing so. He was not a likely convert. He had permission from the chief priest to arrest those who belonged to a group that he thought were dangerous and heretical. The account of his conversion has been the stuff of paintings done by the old masters, often, I might add, with liberal creativity. So much so that we don't really see the true event. For example, Paul is not alone. Paul is surrounded clearly in the story by his entourage. And all of them, not just Paul, fall down in a brightness he could not describe. Interestingly, they fall off, not as painted from a horse, uh, but they fall to the ground from their feet. Instead, he's told then, as a result of this, to get on his feet, not back on his horse. And Jesus comes in a voice, a voice that he had to make sense of, a voice that would change his life's direction, and a voice that would propel him on a missionary journey, and even to the ears of this king, Agrippa. What Paul offers to Agrippa is not some crafty Christianity sales pitch. He's actually making his case, thinking that he's going to be facing capital punishment. But Paul uses this as an opportunity to give good news. He is doing the work of an evangelist in season and out of season. Evangelism is often maligned in the Episcopal Church, and I, I found that most don't even understand what it is at all. Take, for example, we here at St. Paul's run a food ministry. Some might consider that evangelism, but it's not. That is service. That is something that our being as Christians are compelled to do in service of others, but not evangelism. We offer several opportunities for people to grow in their faith, in Bible study and faith formation. But that is formation for education. That is not evangelism. We offer concerts, but that's entertainment. We offer prayer quilts, but that is intercessory prayer. We offer the Order of St. Luke Prayer Ministry for healing, but that is pastoral care. These are not evangelism. Now, some of you may recall an old gospel song. I love to tell the story, it will be my theme in glory. I love to tell the story of Jesus and his love. That is exactly what evangelism is about. Paul is telling the good news of Jesus to King Agrippa. Will he receive it? Well, I'm not going to tell you. You 
can actually look on your own uh, to the end of chapter 26 if you want to read the rest of the story. Sometimes proclamation works, sometimes it does not. But I think it's key for us to step back and look at what Paul did when called to testify before Agrippa. He simply tells his story. He simply tells his story with clarity. He owns it. He isn't giving a sales pitch like a car salesman in a cheap, shiny suit. His hope is resting not in his own ability, but that with such an interaction, such an interaction, and you know all of us are only together and meet each other by divine appointment, right? Such an interaction the Holy Spirit will do the work of convicting. So I'm going to give you a glimpse into how to practice personal evangelism. This should be one of the principal jobs of the church, even when society thinks we shouldn't do it, or sadly, as has been my experience, we Episcopalians think we're too good to do it. Here's five steps. I'm sure others have better ways, but these are mine. So lots of folks have ways to do this work, but all too often I think they look gamey or manipulative. And trust me, younger generations can sniff that out. <laughs> Remember, you're offering absolute grace here. Step one, prayerful intention. Recognize that sharing your faith is less about what you say and more about your prayerful intention that the person that you are speaking with would be receptive. Now remember, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. You're just the vessel. Step two, gain rapport with an individual. God will place in your own life those who will meet Jesus through you. Trust that will happen. Earn their trust. Be their friend. When the chips are down, show up. Love deeply. Pray for their encounter with Jesus. Step three, speak casually about your faith, and as St. Paul did, own your story. If your story had dark paths, that's okay. Be open to sharing them. If you can't remember a time when you did not know Jesus, own that too. All of our stories are different. Like Paul talking to Agrippa, he's not worried if the mission is successful. That's God's job. Our job is to be faithful. Sometimes the words will bear fruit years and years later. Remember when you said such and such in this past 20 years, and then suddenly you realize they, many years later, came to faith because of something you said long ago. Step four, reinforce in speech and action. Speak of your encounter with Jesus. What, what it looked like resulted in a new creation in you. People are surrounded by friends that are often frauds. They need authentic, real, loving people who are who they say they are. And then, once you earn that kind of trust, it's time to introduce them to the church. And step five, persevere in for these people, either until the Holy Spirit gives you peace in letting that person go, or where they begin to show the fruits of conversion. Well, today, my friends, is no different than ages past. We face a challenge. The temptation is always to give up and live into the 
oppressive and shrinking feeling that we are doomed as Christians here in North America? Well, that is the enemy's language. Until Jesus comes again, we have the assurance of two things. Number one, the church will weather the storm. The gates of Hades will not prevail against the church, was the promise that Jesus gave to Peter. But two, Jesus is also adding folks into the kingdom through ordinary folks like you and I. His modus operandi has not changed one bit since the time of the day of Pentecost. And it works through telling our stories. I love to tell the story. It will be my theme in glory. May our theme be to tell the story of Jesus and his love. It's a love that saves us. It's a love that saves the church. It's a love that helps us bring heaven to earth and the soul of one beautiful soul for whom Christ died. So who?